to sing praises to his holy name together, uh, worship his name for what's been done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's continue our worship now as we turn to the 28th chapter of the book of Acts. Uh, Acts 28. We're finishing Acts this morning, Lord willing. Acts 28, we're going to be looking at verses 17 through the end of the chapter. So if you'd please stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is God's word. And it happened that after three days, Paul called those uh, together, those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began to saying to them, brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. And they said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the other brothers come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. It is spoken against everywhere. Excuse me. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly bearing witness about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. And some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others were not believing. When they disagreed with one another, they began leaving After Paul had spoken one word, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your father, saying, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing but will not understand, you will keep on seeing but will not perceive, but the heart of this people has become dull. With their eyes they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, excuse me, with their ears they scarcely hear, they have closed their eyes lest they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God was sent to the Gentiles. They will also hear. When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence unhindered. May the Lord be blessed by the reading of his word. You may be seated. Well, here we are, the last sermon in the book of Acts. It's bittersweet, right? When we opened this series a couple of years ago, we talked about some of the major themes we could expect to come across in Luke's second letter to the the most excellent Theophilus. We said we might learn about obeying God's word over man's word. Exactly when is civil disobedience appropriate? And by God's grace, we did learn about that. When man's word goes against God's word, then we disobey man's word every time, no matter what. 
We said we might learn about Gentile inclusion into God's perfect plan of redemption, how in this new era, God calls not only the Jew, but now also the Greek, how non-Jews are now full participants in the hope of Israel, welcomed into both the kingdom of God and into the family of God, no longer having to become Jewish converts or go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship the holy God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now... Now, people from every tribe and tongue and language, men and women from all around the world, are able to worship in spirit and truth, having the relationship with their creator fully restored. We said we might learn about Gentile inclusion into God's perfect plan of redemption, and by his grace, we have. We also talked about the exclusivity of the gospel, the certain truth that no sinful man or woman can be reconciled to this holy, holy God apart from coming through the Lord Jesus Christ. And in one of the first sermons in Acts, Peter said this very same thing. He said, there is salvation in no other name. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You want to be reconciled to God? You want to be saved from his holy wrath? You want to be saved to an eternity with him in glory? You must come through Jesus Christ, and you must come through Jesus Christ alone. All other roads lead to eternal damnation in hell. Jesus said, I am the way. Nobody comes to the Father but through me, which means the gospel of God is an exclusive gospel. Reconciliation to a holy God is only for a certain people, freely offered to all for sure but only effective for those who come to him by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's just the truth, whether people like it or not. And we said right from the get-go, right from the first sermon in Acts, there would be plenty of people in the first century who would not like it. In fact, they hated this truth then, and they still hate this truth today. So then we said we'd see examples of tremendous persecution and opposition, sheer animosity and utter contempt by the early church from those in this world who hated the living God and what in turn hate the people of God who are faithful in the proclamation of the message of God, which he charged them to take to the ends of the earth. And we've seen that animosity on full display in this testimony, haven't we? And yet... Yet, despite all this opposition and despite all this persecution, the church continued to spread geographically and grow numerically. That the book of Acts is what one theologian called the testimony of the unstoppable word of God. We've seen it repeatedly over these past two years, over and over and over again. Acts 4 and 5, the apostles are arrested and beaten. Acts 6. The word of the God kept on spreading. The number of the disciples continued to multiply greatly in Jerusalem. Acts 8, Stephen is martyred by stoning. Acts 9, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria was having peace, being built up, going on in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It continued to multiply. Acts 11, King Herod puts... The apostle Peter in prison. He kills James' brother of John with the sword. Christians were being publicly executed here. Chapter 12. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. 
proving the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. Amen? That's right. In Acts chapter 15, we saw the testimony of this once ravenous, bloodthirsty persecutor of Christians now subdued by sovereign grace alone, taking the message of salvation by faith in Christ alone throughout the whole Roman Empire. We read of the Apostle Paul's various imprisonments. He was beaten. He was bloodied. He was even stoned and left for dead at one city. Yet he kept on living. He kept on traveling. He kept on preaching. The unstoppable word kept on spreading. And both Jews and Gentiles kept on being reconciled to a holy God. And Paul kept on planting churches. The churches, which we were told in Acts 16, were being strengthened in the faith were abounding in number daily. Acts 17 and 18, he goes to Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, Caesarea. Then he goes back, he visits his sending church in Antioch. He comes back to Ephesus where he preaches and teaches the gospel for two years, not without much hardship and opposition, not without hearing of many Christians suffering and being martyred throughout the whole Roman Empire. But Luke tells us that through these efforts, all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And he said in Acts 19, verse 20, So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Since then, we've seen much of what Paul said he had to endure. We've seen dangers from, he said, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in desolate places, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brothers. We've seen him slandered in the temple. We've seen him falsely accused and condemned to death by his kinsmen according to the flesh. We've seen him before governors and kings and prison cells on stormy seas. We've seen this world with devils filled threaten to undo him. Yet, Paul did not fear, for God had willed his truth to triumph through him. We've seen it. We've gleaned from it. We've taken the examples and principles God gave through faithful men and women in the early church, and we've applied those principles to our lives, to our body. And by God's grace, we've seen how the same can be said for us. We took comfort in the reality that no matter what happens, no matter what this evil world with devils filled may throw our way, no matter how much they try to extinguish the flame of God's word, no matter how much they try to stamp us out, no matter if they slander us or or cancel us or fire us or starve us or torture us, no matter if we live or if we die, the embers of the gospel will spread. The the good news of salvation through Christ alone will ignite in the prepared hearts of those who belong to him, and the the truth of God's word will abideth still, because the kingdom is forever. His kingdom is forever. It's a truth that drives the wicked men and and women of this world absolutely mad. This morning, we get more evidence of this as the words of our Lord have come to pass, this marvelous message of the gospel of grace has gone to the very ends of the earth as Paul sits under house arrest in Rome where he just got in from Malta, shipwrecked, snake-bitten, made his way up the coast where Luke says in verse 16, when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. He's made it. He's here, just like God preordained for him to be here, right? Right? 
If we've learned anything during our time in Acts, it's that God reigns supreme. He has sovereignly orchestrated all events leading up to this point where Paul sits in Rome chained to some guard. Imagine being that guy that Paul was chained to, right? They typically, these guards, they typically took shifts of four hours each, so he could have had as many as six guys guarding him in a day. Now, we don't know that for sure, but we can be pretty confident what the discussions may have been like. He may have said, uh, you know, I knew that I'd be here. About 30 years ago, Jesus told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Oh, yeah. We all knew the gospel would come up to Rome. Actually, it's already been here for a couple of years now, but I wanted to see it for myself. Okay? And the Holy Spirit said I would. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was back in Ephesus, and I purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem after I had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, and I said it then, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. I don't know how I was going to get there, but I soon found out. When I got to Jerusalem, my own people accused me of preaching against Moses in the temple. The members of the Sanhedrin hated me with a passion of a scorned lover. Forty men took a vow not to eat anything until they killed me, you know. But one of your guys, Lysias by name, commanded 470 of his men to take me down to Caesarea. But not before, on that very night. The same risen Lord Jesus stood at my side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly borne witness to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must bear witness at Rome also. That's how I knew that I'd end up here at some point. Sure, it took an appeal to Caesar, but God worked sovereignly in the hearts of both unbelieving men as well as through the laws of men to get me here. Even Festus confirmed this divine governance when he told me, you have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. Then, it was the craziest thing. We set sail from Fair Havens a couple weeks ago. I told him, don't do it. It's not a good time to get out on that sea, especially in a wheat ship. But good old Julius, he says, uh, no, we're going to get to Rome. He was determined to get us here. So we hopped aboard the, this ship, and well, things didn't go too smoothly from a human perspective there. We ended up being tossed to and fro to the point where everyone thought we were goners. But I had a certain confidence because I knew the Lord is always in control. We were on his sea. These were his waves. It was his wind. I had absolute confidence because just when it looked like all hope was lost, The God to whom I belong and to whom I serve sent an angel who stood before me saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. You must stand before Caesar. I knew I'd be here. And here I am talking with you. So now let me tell you about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. It may have gone like that. I don't know. But again, how amazing would it have been to be chained to the Apostle Paul? Can you imagine that? I think if I was one of those guards, I'd say, you know what? Forget it, Frank. I'll take the next shift. And the next one. And the next one. If there's one thing, again, that we've learned during our time in Acts, it's the supreme governance of the Lord over all things in his creation. In all situations, in all circumstances, 
For he has declared the end from the beginning. Not the beginning from the end, but the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things which have not yet been done. Yahweh reigns supreme, says Isaiah 46. Not even a week goes by here without uh, Paul here in Rome doing, uh, Paul doing what he always does. Going to the Jew first, okay? He, he couldn't go into the synagogues while in prison, though, so he brought the synagogue to him. Look at verse 17, point two in your outline. It happened that after three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. When they came together, he began saying to them, Brothers, I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the for the sake of the hope of Israel. Now, obviously, we could spend all morning on these six verses here, but something very interesting stood out to me. After all the Jews had put him through, after all the slander, after all the lengths they went to to uh, silence him, after all the attempts at his life, you'd think Paul would say, Psh, forget these people. I'm straight up going to the Romans. I- I'm going to call up the believers in Rome I'd written to a couple years back, told them I wanted to see them. I can't wait to see these guys. I'm reaching out to them. Forget the Jews. But no, not not only does he go to the Jew first, he calls the prominent ones and says, look, I don't have any beef with you guys, okay? Sure, the Sanhedrin, the the chief priests, they tried to have me killed, delivered into the hands of lawless men, just like they did with Jesus, by the way. Uh, But like Jesus, the Romans said, I hadn't done anything wrong. Certainly nothing deserving of death here. I'm only here because uh, the Jews wanted me dead. That's why I appealed. But you know what? I see God's sovereign hand in this. It's much bigger than me. So I don't hold a grudge. Far from it. I haven't, brought, I haven't even brought any counter charges against you guys, he says. Why would I? I love you guys. His new faith in Christ didn't change the fact that he was a Jew. Not one bit. He had an allegiance with his people. He said in his letter to the Christians in Rome that he himself would be cut off from Christ for the sake of his brethren, his his kinsmen according to the flesh. He'd take their place in eternal torment that they might be eternally saved. And he wasn't trying to be dramatic when he said that. He said the Holy Spirit can confirm this. And the Holy Spirit did confirm it when he put it in the inspired scriptures. So Paul's like, I'm not coming for a fight. In, In fact, as we'll see, he's about to share the gospel with them, so he doesn't want to poke them in the eye first. Uh, at first, anyhow, uh, that's smart. That's smart evangelism. Well, in verse 21, they said to him, We have neither, neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brothers come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. I think they're trying to bait him a little bit here. Yeah, we don't know anything about you. Well, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe they hadn't heard of Paul. Maybe the Jews who were required to come up and present their side of things before Caesar hadn't been able to get on the ship. Again, this is less than two weeks after that shipwreck here. It's still not a great time to be sailing. We can't confirm that, but 
What we can confirm is that they knew about Christianity. They said it's some sect that nobody regards or likes, but you know what? We'll hear you out. You're here, here now, and we'll, we'll hear what you have to say about it. And just like that, the sovereign Lord opens yet another door to the Jewish people. Notice that? What do you think Paul's going to do? You think he's going to walk through it? What would you do? Well, Luke tells us in verse 23. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his, uh, at his lodging in large numbers. This is a big crowd here. He was explaining to them by solemnly bearing witness about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. That's my kind of sermon. So the second meeting with this prominent Jew here, this time they brought their friends, a lot of them, Luke says. Paul, still chained up to this Roman soldier, explains to them, Luke says, solemnly, the truths concerning the kingdom of God. Saying solemnly, your everlasting souls are at stake here. Your your place in the eternal kingdom of God is at stake here. The kingdom is here because the king was here. He came, he lived among us, Jesus of Nazareth, but we killed him. He rose from the dead. He's alive, and he's currently reigning and ruling from his throne in heaven in the hearts of those who belong to him. He's reigning over his spiritual kingdom, and he's coming again to set up his earthly kingdom that you're all expecting. Okay? This is the hope of Israel, the Messiah and the resurrection spoken of by Moses and the prophets. Please listen to me. Luke says he's solemnly, earnestly trying to persuade them, to convince them. It's the word pytho. It means to induce by words. It's defined as a strong verb carrying the components of confidence, reliance, and hope. And the tense suggests here that he was repeatedly trying to persuade them over and over again. Pytho. Jesus used the very same word when when he told of two men. Okay, a rich man and a poor man. He said, now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. But a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now it happened that the poor man died. He was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died. He was buried. And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, Remember that during your life, you received your good things, likewise Lazarus' bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides this, between us and you, there's a great chasm that's fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you are not able, and none may cross over from there to us. Rich man said, then I am asking you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. 
But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, father. No, father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, pytho, even if someone rises from the dead. Wasn't that interesting terminology? Luke says here in Acts 28, Paul was explaining to them by solemnly bearing witness about the kingdom of God, not by some New Testament teaching, not by the Sermon on the Mount, not by some elaborate exegesis on his epistle to the Romans, but that he was trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. Well, Luke says in verse 24, some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others, others were not believing. They were not believing. See, it, it really didn't matter to the others what Moses and the prophets wrote about. It didn't really matter to them. What are there, 300-some prophecies telling of Messiah's coming? Is that right? Like 300? Prophecies surrounding his birth, his perfect life, his perfect work, his miracles, his sacrificial death, the hope of the resurrection. Yeah, they didn't want to hear it, though. Because Jesus was a threat to their little system, their little religious system. They were ready for a conquering king who would come to exalt them to a place of prominence over the nation. But they didn't want to hear anything about some crucified Messiah from Nazareth. No matter how clearly and faithfully these fulfilled prophecies were explained to them by an apostle. And guess what? Their their rejection of divine truth didn't surprise Paul one bit. Luke says in verse 25, when they disagreed with one another, they they had began leaving after Paul had spoken one word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your father saying, Go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, you will not perceive. The heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes, lest they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return, and I heal them. The Holy Spirit rightly said, you guys wouldn't listen. The Holy Spirit was right. The Holy Spirit is always right. David Gooding said on Isaiah 6, this passage that Paul draws from, in the dark days of Israel's past, God had given Isaiah a vision of the king, the only king that could ever save them from the individual sin and national disaster. God had commissioned Isaiah to go and tell Israel this vision of their king, but in the very moment of his commissioning them, God had warned Isaiah that his preaching would do them little good. For where fallen and sinful nature has led people in their pride and sinful self-sufficiently, unrepentantly to suppress their consciences, barricade their minds, shut their ears, and close their eyes, there comes a point where the preaching, even of the gospel, has the effect of aggravating the condition rather than healing it. The gospel aggravates people. I want you to think about this for a moment. In Acts, we've seen the word of God go forth amidst tremendous persecution. Murder of Christians. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, right? 
Stephen, killed in this book, yet the word goes forth. James, brother of John, killed in this very testimony, yet the word went forth. Paul would go on to be martyred himself, as tradition would have it, have his head cut off with a sword, yet the word would go forth. Uh, Paul would go, uh, he knew that the word would go forth, so he had the utmost confidence. The word went forth even after his being martyred, which is proven by our sitting here in Lakewood, Colorado this morning, almost 2,000 years ago, repeating his very same words. Yet, some of you will not believe them. Some of you will not believe them. Your hearts are dull. Your eyes are blind. Your ears are deaf. That's just how it is. That's what Paul was doing as he sat in this meeting 2,000 years ago. He was repeating the words of a prophet who spoke 700 years before that, foretelling the events that were taking place on that very day in Rome when he told these Jews, here is what Moses said about the one who was to come. Here's what the prophets said about the Messiah, the hope of Israel. Are you going to believe them or not? But Abraham said to the rich man, your brothers have Moses and the prophet. Not actually Moses. Moses was dead at this point. The prophets were dead. But what? The scriptures. The writings. The sacred, God-breathed, God-inspired scriptures. Your brothers have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But the rich man, in agony, in torment, literally burning in hell, said No. No. No, Abraham. The word of the Holy Spirit through the prophets and Moses is just not going to cut it for my brothers. They need to be entertained and, and wowed by God. They need to witness something spectacular. They need to be promise some experience that will prove beneficial to them in this life in order to believe him. And it's the same in some churches today, right? No wonder all these so-called pastors act the way they act. The word ain't going to cut it for them. So we got to do something to draw the culture in. We have to make God look appealing to these people like we're some sort of used car salesman. We got to Woo them in. But for those who don't believe that the scriptures are sufficient, Abraham would and did clearly say, to hell with those brothers. And we ought to say, to hell with this culture. And to hell with these false teachers who forsake the abiding word in hopes of kowtowing to those who are enslaved by this fleeting world system. Abraham said to the rich man, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're going to end up just like you, rich man. For the heart of this people has become dull. That means it's become fat. It's become filled up with inner pride. 
with their ears, they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes. They're blinded to the truth willingly. Now, I know what someone's going to say. You don't have to write an email or talk to Brad afterwards, but... How does this reconcile with your doctrines of grace, Matt, your Calvinism? Well, I'll be happy to tell you. I'm glad you asked. As we've seen and taught so many times throughout this book, the Lord is the one who opens the eyes, who unstops the ears, who softens the hearts of those whom he calls to himself. To Israel, he said, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes. You will be careful to do my judgments. We've talked about this repeatedly in our time in Acts. We believe that the Bible teaches that God sovereignly predetermined, predestined, elected all those who will come to faith, who would have faith from before the very foundations of the world. He had to. But the Bible also clearly teaches that man has the responsibility to believe. Whosoever believes, all who come to me. The scriptures clearly teach that men who reject this will be held accountable for their unbelief. Whoever does not believe, Jesus said, is condemned already. Right? they will be held fully responsible for neglecting to hear his word and obeying it. And just because we can't grasp that truth fully, just because we can't fully explain how God's sovereignty and human responsibility works together in the finiteness of our minds, doesn't mean it's not true. And it certainly, certainly doesn't mean that we have to create some humanistic, philosophical explanation emphasizing the so-called free will of totally dead and totally depraved men and women just so we can eliminate the tension in our own tormented hearts, deceiving ourselves and countless others in the process. When we stand before the Lord and glory to give an account, he's not going to ask us how we felt about his divine truths. Well, how'd you feel about that? Divine sovereignty thing. I'm curious. Oh, he's going to say, did you believe it or not? You either believe it or you don't. If you truly believe, it's only because you were chosen to believe by the author and perfecter of faith who changes our hearts, who opens up our eyes and enables us, causes us to believe, who provides the faith necessary to be justified, to be saved. But if you don't believe, it's your own fault. And you'll pay for it for, and all your other sins for all of eternity. That's just what the word says. Now here's the $64,000 question. Do you believe it or not? Do you believe it or not? Someone says, well, how do I know if I'm one of his? How do I know if I'm one of the elect? How do I know if my heart has been prepared from before the foundation's of the earth, I'd say, well, do you believe the gospel? Do you love God? Do you love his word? Do you love his people? Do you love the things that he loves? Hates, hate the things that he hates? Or is it all an affront to you? 
You try to explain him away and his scriptures away by holding the God of the Bible to the same, same standards that we hold other sinful men and women to. Isn't it ridiculous? To anyone else in here. Do you believe this gospel? It's at this point in Paul's meeting that the apostolic clause come out. He says, you know what? The Holy Spirit was right about you. Don't miss this, this huge shift in verse 25. Look at it in your own Bibles. As he goes from our fathers to your fathers. The whole time in Acts, he's called these guys brothers, right? Brothers, our father said, our father spoke of. I'm standing here being tried for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. He spoke to all Jews in a general sense, but he knows Now he knows the wicked Jews he's dealing with in Rome here. So he says, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers. You won't believe. Your fathers rejected God's word, not mine. And now you are following in the footsteps of your fathers. Jesus had a similar conversation with some hard-hearted Jews back in John 8. You can turn there with me, because uh, I'm going to read the, I'm going to read quite a bit of it. John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, John, John 38, or excuse me, John 8, verse 31. That's right. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Human responsibility. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's seed and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin, and the slave slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, divine sovereignty, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, yet you are seeking to kill me because my word has no place in you. It hasn't been prepared. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, you would do the deeds of Abraham. But now you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, God. This was an insult to Jesus and to his mom, by the way. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come from myself, but he sent me. This is the hope of Israel. He's telling them, I'm the one he sent. I'm the Messiah. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? And then he tells them, because he knows. It is because you cannot hear my word. 
You are of your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Same thing here in Rome. It's the same exact thing. They didn't hear the word because they can't hear the word, and they don't want to hear the word because they belong to their father. And and they want to do their father's desires. They want to do the desires of, of the devil, which is what happened here in Rome. The Jewish leaders, they depart, they disagree with themselves. There's division. There's a split. This should be no surprise, though. Jesus himself said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but what? A sword. That's right, a sword. Simeon said the same thing when Jesus was brought into the temple. Don't miss this amongst all the hoopla this week. Saying to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, for a sign to be opposed. A sword will pierce through your own soul as well, and the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That's right. He's a heart revealer. The hearts of some of these Jews in Rome were revealed as being rock hard, obstinate, and bound for hell. And the the sword really struck deep when Paul concluded the meeting by saying in verse 28, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God was sent to the Gentiles. That really drove them nuts. They will also hear. But you know what? Isaiah said the same thing about the Messiah as well. He said, I will give you as a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Well, that's what happened. And again, here we are in Lakewood, Colorado, a testimony to it. Right? If you're a believing Gentile here, I don't know any of your backgrounds here, but if you're a Gentile here this morning, the book of Acts tells you how you have been granted access into the kingdom of God, blessed through Israel, but forgiven of your sin and reconciled to God by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. The Holy Spirit now indwells us just as he did them in the beginning. And it's the best news in all the world for us. But it's a truth that was far too much for these pious Jews to hear. Too offensive to them. So they did what many people do today in churches here, and they left. They just left. Disgruntled, divided, upset. How about you this morning? Are you going to leave this place disputing, divided, offended at the truths you've heard this morning? Or are you going to leave being persuaded by the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of the living God? I hope it's one or the other. Just don't leave here indifferent. Okay? And just like that, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke ends this book perfectly. Perfect ending to this book in verse 30 by saying, Paul stayed two full years in his own rented quarters, was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God 
teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. What sweet confidence. Unhindered, it says. He's under house arrest, which means he's paying rent. Who's paying his rent? Well, he wasn't making tents at this time. Well, the church is. So he had an open-door policy. He showed great hospitality to anyone who came, whether Jew or Gentile. Think of how he felt about Gentiles before Acts 9. Now everyone is welcomed. That's not all, but it's also during this time that he wrote Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, where he asked for boldness to continue to proclaim the truths of the gospel, which Luke says he did. Paul preached the kingdom unhindered, it says, for two years. He would later write the pastoral epistles to Timothy and Titus with the final words of his final inspired letter being, for I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Can you say the same this morning? I trust that our time in Acts has helped you, help equipped you to go and do likewise, to be like Paul, because he was like Christ. I know a lot of people, they're unsettled by the way this book ends. What happens next? Did Paul go to Spain? Did he go to Crete? I mean, what happened here? The point of the book of Acts is not what happened next in the life of the Apostle Paul or Peter or Barnabas or any other Christian who has ever lived since. The point of the book was that the unstoppable word of God reached the highest levels of Rome. That the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ went out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth just like he said it would, right? So we need to to stop worrying so much about Acts 29 start reading Romans 1. Can you imagine a denomination named the Roman 1 Network today? They don't want to be called Romans 1 Network. I want to leave you, especially you, Dominic, with this tremendous encouragement. (laughs) Almost done, buddy. (laughs) The same gospel that Peter preached in Acts 2 is the same gospel that Paul preached in Acts 28. That is, regardless of if you're born a Jew or a Gentile, a Jew or a non-Jew, the God of Israel, who is the same God that spoke the very heaven and earth into existence by the word of his power, the same God who gave you your life and sustained your life as you sit there hearing his word this morning, has graciously extended your life to hear the invitation for the forgiveness of your sin and an eternity with him through the sacrificial death, subsequent burial, triumphant resurrection, and glorious ascension of his perfect son, the Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is believe his word. Just believe what he says about himself. Believe his word. And to believe his word, you have to hear his word. So hear his word. Hear Moses. Hear David. Hear Daniel and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Hear Luke and Matthew and Mark and John. Hear James and Paul. Don't be distracted. 
Don't be distracted by this world. Don't be dissuaded by this culture and this society, a world where everything is volatile and capricious and shifting and temporal. Hear the voice of God through reading his word. Don't set this thing aside for something else in this life. It's crazy. Place your trust in the sure word of God, the abiding word of God, the eternal word of God, and rest your everlasting soul on the promises of the testimony contained within here. And come, come to him. Turn from your sin. Turn from this wicked, evil world system that is under the power of the devil. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son. Give him the glory, great things he has done. Amen? Amen. That's the book of Acts. And we praise the Lord for it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's do that now as Noel and the music team comes up, closes our time together. Our Heavenly Father, we just give you all praise, all glory, all honor. We worship your name, your holy name, for what's been done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for Acts. We thank you for the book of Acts. We thank you for your faithfulness, allowing us to not only read it together congregationally, but also to be instructed by it and uh, be transformed by the power of your living word. We just give you praise for this. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.